This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Poker Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily, and this is the week of March 21st through 25th, 2022. And how are you doing, Kyle? Oh, I'm doing just dandy. We had spring break a week ago, so Ooh. we're in the home stretch now. Uh, <laughs> I have nine nine school weeks until summer, which I know sounds like the most bizarre thing to the people who have people who live on the coasts. <laughs> people who have three full months of school left. Yeah. Yes, yes. But let me tell you, it is really nice living in the interior of the country, where we evenly divide the school year around New Year's. Mm. So. Yeah, we go we go from we go to Memorial Day and that is when summer starts for us. Yeah. How are you doing? Well, I'm do- I'm doing all right. I know now that I will definitely be on sabbatical from my uh pastoral role this summer. So I'm going to have 11 weeks in a row of being out of the office, out of church and you know, I've got some travel plans, I've got some uh, things that I want to do and visits I want to make and, you know, but mostly I'll just be, I don't know, Doing, <laughs> recovering yeah. from from all of this. Yeah. And, and my uh, understanding of sabbatical is that you also have no parenting duties, right? Uh, I'll, I'll take that up with my husband. Um, that, sound, that sounds fair to me. Um, <laughs> I mean, otherwise, yeah. is it really a break? Yeah. I mean... It's supposed to be about rest, right? So <laughs> rest from being a mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they'll be they'll be going to summer camp a lot of the time. Summer day camp a lot nice. of the time that I'm on sabbatical. So I should hopefully be able to read some good books and take some hikes and uh, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, I'm pretty thrilled. Well, hey, let's talk about Jeopardy um, on Monday, March 21st, we had the contestants, Karen Johnson, a member acquisition coordinator from Portland, Oregon, Margaret Chapowski, an attorney from Lawrenceville, New Jersey, and Finn Corrigan, a student from Vista, California, whose two-day cash winnings total $39,602. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, picture book, uh, this is picture slash book, where they were going to use pictures to uh, kind of represent, you know, sort of a puzzle to come up with a not the title of a of a book, uh, boating glossary, dance off, bro, four letter countries, films of the nineteen nineties, and let your star guide you. And Finn Corrigan was an undergraduate student. Yeah, he's right? like twenty years old. Yeah. yeah, and then we had another undergrad later today. The undergrads are kind of i feel like we've seen a, a quite a few undergrads outside of the college tournament yeah in in regular season jeopardy recently yeah which i wonder if they you know in in their recruiting for the college tournament they just got a plethora of great contestants and we're like well we'll just put them in the regular pool yeah i wonder yeah they uh had an okay time with that picture book uh category there are a couple of triple stumpers um, especially the first one that they got to the $600 level was it's mainly set in New York City and there's a picture of a baseball catcher between two slices of marbled bread 
and then mm-hmm. his catcher in the rye. They they all had notable, like understandably <laughs> puzzled just, faces. Just confounded, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Films of the nineteen nineties. I think I was expecting um, more like critically acclaimed. You just films. wanted to talk about Shakespeare in Love. Well, you know what, though? You know what's better than Shakespeare in Love is the $1,000 level of films in the 1990s. Cat and Bianca Stratford attend Padua High School in this 1999 film loosely based on The Taming of the Shrew. That is 10 Things I Hate About You. It is great. 10 Things I Hate About You is a great movie. I owned the soundtrack. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I ever saw it. Uh Ah, you you have missed out. I have missed out. Um, That must be the hole in my in my heart yeah that must be mm-hmm. what, what will fill it yeah no it, it it's a it's a great film it had it has heath ledger i was gonna say heath ledger i thought yeah it had heath ledger and julia styles and i can't recall the names of the other actors now i could have yeah it's trivia everything's important um but it is a it's a totally delightful movie. It has Alice and Janney in like a like a bit part. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, it I think it holds up. If y'all haven't seen it, listeners, go go find that. It's on Disney Plus right now. I think. Is it really okay? Yeah, well, maybe I'll check that out. Daily double number one is in the four letter countries category. Uh, it's only the third pick in the round. Finn finds it at the eight hundred dollar level. He has 400, Margaret has zero, Karen has zero, and he wagers a thousand. And the clue is Sultan Haitham rules this nation on the southeastern coast of the Arabian Peninsula. And he gets that correct with what is Oman, mm-hmm. which is notably a sultanate. Yep. There are not many sultanates left. Two? I do not know. I, th- I think Oman and Brunei. I was going to say Brunei. And I don't know of any others. Google does not autocomplete with any other countries. We've got Brunei, Oman, and SWAT. So I think okay. we're probably. <laughs> what about the Sultans good. of Swing? What about, that? uh, yep, what about that's, them? That's a little. That's a little further down. Yep. Okay. <laughs> My favorite uh, yeah, dire so, straits. So yeah, I think I think just Oman and Brunei. Well, at the end of the Jeopardy round, Finn is at 1,800 tied with Karen, and Margaret is in the lead at 3,800. And we have the double Jeopardy categories, Groups in History, Seismic Activity, The Ancients Speak, Giving You a Plum Assignment, Childhood Homes, and three letters in a row alphabetically. So every correct response somewhere in it has three letters alphabetically. Mm Mm-hmm. I am shocked, shocked, I say, given trivia people's uh, fondness for it, that the plum assignment category did not have William Carlos Williams in it. I know. He was notably missing. Perhaps we should forgive the writers. (laughs) Perhaps. You know what? I think given that they had Twas the Night Before Christmas asking what visions of what were dancing in the children's heads. Maybe they didn't want to do another poetry uh, that might clue be in Thank the category. You. you know what? Thank you, writers. Thank you for not doing more poetry. Yeah. I mean, they could do a plum poetry category someday and then <laughs> get both of those. And then I'm sure you could probably find a few more. Probably. I would yeah. imagine. 
Yeah. I did not know the European plum brandy. Oh, it was a triple stumper. Nobody knew it. Mm -hmm. Slivovitz. Yeah. I did not know that either. Yeah. I felt like they just sort of, they, they got them all correct, but like with a lot of trepidation in the three letters in a row alphabetically Mm -hmm. category. Mm -hmm. It's just sort of hard to, I think, to find the three consecutive letters inside the word in the amount of time you have. Right, because you know the word you're going for, and you're probably not thinking about the spelling. Right, and we had a we had a pronunciation mix up that was unfortunate at the sixteen hundred dollar level. Traditional head covering worn by Muslim women was the clue there, and uh, Margaret rang in and said, "What is hajib? Uh, that is not correct. It's hijab." So Karen got the rebound on that. Daily Double number two is in groups in history at the $800 level. Karen finds it at the fourth pick. She has 6,600 at this point uh, to Finn's 1,800 and Margaret's 3,800. She wagers 3,000. That's a nice solid wager. She gets the clue. Term for businessmen like Rockefeller and Pullman. Reformist Carl Schurz wrote of the modern these who plunder at will. And she gets that one correct with robber barons. Mm-hmm. And daily double number three is in the three letters in a row alphabetically category at the $1,200 level. Uh, other end of the round, it was pick number 27. Uh, Karen finds it. She's at 15,200. She got a, got out to a good lead. Finn's at 9,400 and Margaret's at 9,800. She wagers only 1,000. And gets the clue, apparel for a thespian. And uh, she really was was not confident when she said, what is a costume? Uh, but that is correct. S-T-U right there in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Karen has the lead with 15,400. Finn's at 11,400. Margaret is at 9,800. And we have the final Jeopardy category singers. And the clue, in 2021 at age 95, this singer achieved a Guinness World Record for the oldest person to release an album of new material. Margaret has the correct response, uh, who is Tony Bennett. And she wagered 9,000. That brings her up to 18,800. Finn and Karen both came up with the same incorrect response. Uh, so Finn has, who is Diana Ross? And he's wagered everything, 11,400. He does need to go pretty big to cover a double up from Margaret. So, you know, mm. maybe it makes sense to wager everything. That drops him down to zero, though. And Karen also has, who is Ross, uh, presumably, maybe also thinking of Diana Ross. With a wager of 7,401, that drops her down to 7,999. And so Margaret is the winner of this one. Um, somebody noted to me that Diana Ross is um, kind of uh, notably sort of a, a a diva and maybe would be offended to have people think that she is 95. Um, maybe. And that it might have been a difficult day to be, you know, uh, working with her. <laughs> might have been. Yeah. But... I, I don't know, like whatever. I'm not gonna. Yeah. I'm not gonna weigh in at. There were there were a lot of people with really uh really nasty opinions about about those answers. Yeah, I mean you have to you have to come up with. It's better to write something than nothing, yeah. right? Yeah. And you know, as the as the music's coming to an end, if you have an okay but not great idea that you're pretty sure is not a perfect fit, but it's the only thing you've thought of, like go just for it. Write that down. Yeah. Nobody has ever won. 
no, people have won with a, with a completely blank Final that's, Jeopardy. That's true, yeah. Thing. It, but, but nobody, that's... yeah, nobody has ever been uh, judged correct with a with a blank Final Jeopardy response. So you know, you don't have a whole lot to lose except for the, you know, the high opinion of completely random people on Twitter. Yes, which we all care so much about. So much. And on Tuesday, we have the contestants Caitlin Gillooly, an e-commerce professional from Boston, Massachusetts, Mihir Nene, an engineer from Rochester, New York, and Margaret Chapowski, an attorney from Lawrenceville, New Jersey, whose one-day cash winnings total $18,800. And the Jeopardy! round categories are 1860s America, G as in geography, investing, ice cream flavors, with a question mark, Football and football, and a word to the wise. We had a clue about Gibraltar, which I think I probably would not have known until I studied up on it for a deep dive. Nice. I don't know if it helped anybody else, but it helped me. And that's really why we do it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a big, I, I'm not going to lie, that's a big reason Like yeah. doing this podcast. No, it has, really helps a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, basically, my yeah my, my trivia knowledge would be going mm-hmm. down significantly. Yep. The football and football category, I thought, was uh, enjoyable. I guess most of them were football or football. Yeah. And the only one that was football and football was the Ted Lasso question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, about varying definitions of offsides. Mm-hmm. The $600 level, uh, this Premier League system of sending the three bottom finishers to a second tier league is like sending three MLB teams down to triple A. And that's that's a relegation, which... That would make American sports kind of more interesting. <laughs> it would, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, if you're in Learned League, then you maybe know this from that. I also know it because I, I listen to... Dear Hank and John, where the Green Brothers answer uh, advice column questions, and then John Green reports on what's going on with uh, AFC Wimbledon, um, and Hank Green reports on what's happening with Mars exploration. And so I've frequently heard John Green talk about relegation (laughs) in in football. Um, Yeah. But anyway, relegation... I learned first from being a learned league player. Nice. Yeah. Daily Double number one is in the 1860s America category at the $1,000 level. And Margaret finds it as the 15th pick. She's tied with me here at 2,800. Caitlin is trailing with 2,400. Margaret wagers 2,000 and gets the clue. In the House in 1868, radical Republican Thaddeus Stevens began the closing argument against this man. And she knows that is Andrew Johnson. So she gets she gets that one correct. Um, and at the end of the Jeopardy round, she is in the lead with 7,200. Um, and Mihir and Caitlin are now tied with 4,600 each. And we have the double Jeopardy categories. Recent bios of writers, scientific initials, those darn Etruscans, National Historic Trails, characters named Alex, and Silent Letter Starters. How did those darn Etruscans come to be a thing? I don't know, but it has it is a fairly common Jeopardy category. It's nice to see yeah. it come back. Yeah. I remember it being like in the uh the kind of opening credit montage in uh 
season 35 for sure. I don't know if they kept it much past that. Yeah. Yeah. It was. I do. Yeah. I do recall that. We, we can trace the uh, idea of pulling a wishbone back to the Etruscans, apparently. Hmm. I didn't know that before. I did not either. It is a form of divination, though, so that makes sense. Yeah, it is. The thing that you can tell with it is who put their thumb higher. (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) In case anybody is listening and wants to know the secret to winning at the wishbone poll, Mm -hmm. put your thumb higher. Yeah. Once my brother and I both figured that out, it was was basically just a thumb wrestling match at that point. That, I guess, that makes sense. My current favorite form of divination is there's somebody on TikTok who has shuffled together a bunch of decks of Sesame Street flashcards and then uses them like tarot cards to respond to questions that are sent into him. You know, he'll be like, oh, well, you know, this is the the red of circle. (laughs) Uh, And to me, you know, I think that means, you know, there's maybe some anger, but it's being, you know, really contained. Maybe it has no beginning and no end. I'm, 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 I'm not, I'm not quoting a specific reading at this point. I'm kind of improving based on his his shtick. But sure, th- yeah, the sesamero he calls it. <laughs> it it it's hilarious. I believe um, that. And also, like sometimes, like weirdly touching, um, you know, because people send in like these really, you know, deep, like heartfelt or like painful questions, and like. Like the person doing the reading, I think, is really, <laughs> really sweet about them while doing this kind of tongue in cheek thing where he's like, well, you know, we have Ernie in the uh, in the current problem position. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's pretty great. I, w- I will check that out. Yeah. Daily Double number two is in the recent bios of writers category at the $800 level. Pick number 14, uh, Margaret finds this one too she's up to 13,600 Mihir's at 7,400 and Caitlin is at 10,200 she wagers 3,000 and gets the clue the sinner and the saint tells how a real life egotistical murderer inspired this Russian novelist uh, she gets that correct with who is Dostoevsky mm-hmm. and daily double number three is at the $1,600 level of silent letter starters. Uh, and Mihir finds this one at the 22nd pick. Uh, he has 9800 at this point to Margaret's 20200 and Caitlin's 11800 He wagers just 2500 This might be a good moment for a bigger wager with Margaret at more than double his score, mm-hmm. I would think. Um, but 2,500 is what he wagers. Uh, and I guess, you know, lucky for him, um, he gets the clue. Psalms says, cease from anger and forsake this. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. And he can't come up with anything. I did not think of the correct answer in time. They were looking for wrath. Yeah. Jeez. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a tough one. I mean, yeah. it makes sense when you know it, and of course, wrath starts with a silent W. But yeah, I, I'm just trying to parse that sentence, like that mm-hmm. that quote from Psalms is difficult enough to. Yeah, Hebrew poetry um, uses a lot of doubling, where 
the same idea is repeated, you know, with different words or a different nuance. And so when I look at it now, knowing the answer, I'm like, oh, well, you know, it's doubling, right? Like anger, cease anger, forsake wrath. Yeah. Um, You know, there's like a, a parallel structure there. And so, you know, if I if I'd thought about it from that point of view, I would have thought, you know, what is a synonym for anger that has a silent first letter, and maybe I would have gotten to wrath. But yeah, no, it's it's a it's a tough one. You know, I don't think you would expect anyone to just know this quote offhand. Right. And so it's about trying to come up with a word that fits that has a silent first letter. And that's that's a pretty tall order, I think. Agreed. Uh, so at the end of the double jeopardy round, Margaret is in the lead at 20,600. Mihir's at 12,500 and Caitlin is at 15,400. These are really high scores. Yes. Like that's a, this has been a good game for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get the final jeopardy category, historic nicknames and the clue. Napoleon's troops gave him this nickname, not to mock him, but for showing the courage of an infantryman in battle. Mir got it correct with what is the little corporal and uh, as I think needs to always be mentioned now <laughs> by trivia people when it comes to Napoleon was that he wasn't actually particularly short he was average I'm sure mm-hmm. he's very happy that people are saying that now uh, because he's always portrayed as short uh, but that is correct the little corporal uh, and he wagered everything but a dollar which is a big wager mm-hmm Perhaps, perhaps too big. I don't know from third I think, place. I think too big. I, th- I think yeah. too big. I mean, that's, yeah, if it's going to be too big, then, it, then it's too big. Yeah. Um, I think from third place there, uh, probably could have gone a little smaller. But he got it right. Caitlin got it incorrect. <laughs> she wrote, who is the brave little soldier? Oh, who's a brave little soldier? <laughs> uh, that is incorrect. And she wagered everything, which is definitely too big, I think. I mean, here being that close in third place... She needs to wager almost 10,000 to cover a double up from me here. Yeah. Um, and J Archive calls this Stratton's Dilemma. Mm-hmm. Do you bet to cover third place or do you bet to keep yourself safe from first place getting it wrong? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. But she made she went for the big bet. Uh, Margaret wrote what is or what was little general. That is incorrect. She wagered 10,300, which is a cover bet, which means that Mahir is the winner. Mm-hmm. So on Wednesday, we have the contestants Nadej Aoki, a marine biology graduate student from Cambridge, Massachusetts, Tim McCaig, an app developer from San Diego, California, and Mihir Nene, an engineer from Rochester, New York, whose one-day cash winnings total 24999 And we have the Jeopardy round categories. It's all Gucci, music as of late, food and drink homophones, bright lights, Big City, and we read it in the 80s. I thought the food and drink homophones were fun. Some of them, just because of, like, the fact that they are spelled quite differently from their food homophone, it took me a minute to get to, uh, like, moose. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I thought those were, I don't know, I, I like wordplay categories. Yeah, and those yeah. were good ones. They weren't too yeah. hard, but they weren't the easiest. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I got four out of five in the music as of late category, which I felt really good about. Congratulations. As, as we have mentioned a number of times, pop music 
especially recent pop music, is not not the best. Do you think that Tim should have gotten a B more specific when he said Glover? I don't know. I mean, yeah, his Donald Glover's dad is an actor. Right. But Childish Gambino pins it to one particular Glover. Yeah. You know, like, I, I don't think so. Yeah. Necessarily. I do think if we're going to talk about that, I do think at the thousand dollar level of It's All Gucci, this American fashion designer and film director was creative director of Gucci from 1994 to 2004. Tim said, who is Ford? And they accepted that. I do think he needed to be more specific on which Ford, because like there are film directors named Ford who are not Tom Ford. You know, like John Ford. That's true. Like, like mm-hmm. I, f- I did think that that needed to um, be more specific. Yeah. Um, but, but no, I, I don't think for, I don't think for Childish Gambino. And maybe, maybe, you know, maybe I'm having a double standard. I don't know. But. Yeah. Definitely needed on Bach, which we'll see later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just realizing I got three on the music as of late, which is, you know, not quite as good as your four, but hey, better than my usual um, yeah, yeah. Any really, any is like yes. Yeah, I did it. <laughs> Daily double number one is pick number three in the round. It is in the big city category at the six hundred dollar level, and Tim finds it. He's at four hundred. Mahir's at two hundred. Nadesh is at zero. He wagers a thousand. Gets the clue. This Florida city named for a president has more people than Miami and Tampa combined, and he gets it correct with what is Jacksonville. Hmm. Uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Mahir's at 3,600, Tim is at 8,800, and Nadej is at 3,000. We have the double Jeopardy categories. It happened in 22. Science in nature. Triple the double letters. So every correct response has three sets of double letters. The body politic. Woman movies. And incredibly elf-centered. I appreciated uh, Nadezh's guess at the $1,600 level of the elf-centered category. Uh, the clue was in the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer TV special. Hermie the elf didn't want to make toys, but wanted this job instead. And Nadezh tried. He wanted to deliver them. Um, <laughs> which... Not, not a bad guess, know, I suppose. Is it a bad guess? And like... Hermie, like I could, I feel like you could talk yourself into like Hermie is like Hermes, and maybe that's it. like you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. like like he's the toy messenger. Yeah. Um, but Tim knew it; he wanted to be a dentist. Yeah, that's a uh, that's that's pretty much a uh, know it or you don't yeah. kind of thing there. Uh-huh. <laughs> Those du- the triple double letters mm. was that was a struggle. Yeah, that was a challenging category the two thousand dollar clue this river forms part of the florida georgia line that's the chattahoochee which is not necessarily one of the rivers that you study when you're trying to prep for jeopardy so that that is a bit obscure the one above that in two words it grinds the beans to make your morning joe mihir rang in before thinking it all the way out and said what is coffee grinder and then nadege rang in with what is a coffee press which does have three triple letters, but it's not the thing that grinds the coffee. Yeah. They were looking for a coffee mill. Now, I am I know you can probably call it that, but I don't know that I've ever heard anybody call it a coffee yeah. mill. Yeah. I was trying to come up with something with burr, B-U-R-R, because some of the grinders are burr grinders. I know that. Mm. 
I don't know. I thought that was a bit of a stretch, but maybe that's just a, a lack of awareness on my part. Yeah. The $1,200 clue of It Happened in 22 was in 1722. This composer completes his first book of fugues and preludes known as the Well-Tempered Clavier. They showed the picture. It's obviously J.S. Bach. Nadege gets it correct with who is Bach. Yeah. Just ask for... Make him say the first name. <laughs> mm-hmm. There are multiple Bachs who are all composers. Yeah. Gotta ask for it. Yeah. And right below that Bach question is where Nadege uncovers Daily Double number two. It's the 19th pick at the $1,600 level. She has 7,400 to me here is 6,800 and Tim's 15,600. Uh, she wagers just 2,500 and gets the clue. 1922, this North African country gains independence from British rule with Fuad I as king. And she gets that one correct. It is Egypt. Yep. And then daily double number three is near the end of the round. It's pick number 28. It's the $800 level of triple the double letters. Uh, Nadej also finds this one. Mihir has basically leveled out through this round and, and not, not gotten any advancement. Nadej has also kind of leveled out, uh, but Tim has just been on an incredible climb. So this is her chance to get back in it she is at 7900 mihir's at 6000 still and tim is up to 18400 and she wagers 2000 which is enough to get within reach but i was like this is where you go for it there are only two clues left on the board and they're both 400 dollar clues but she made her choice and got the clue for much of its history the ussr was run by the central this group uh, and she does not have a response, but that is the central committee. Yeah, I was uh, trying to come up with some, I don't know, Russian term or something. I wonder mm-hmm. if that's where her mind went as well. Yeah, because like there's the Duma. Uh-huh. You, know, you could say even like the Soviet or the, you know, some some term that is committed uh, uh, associated with it. But yeah, alas. Yep. So... At the end of the double Jeopardy round, um, Tim is in a lock position with 18,800. Mihir's at 6,400, Nadej at 5,900. We have the final Jeopardy category, Poems. And the clue, the title of this poem comes from a 1920 book that refers to its possible, quote, restoration to fruitfulness. Uh, This one was a triple stumper. Uh, Nadej tried what is trees uh ken notes by joyce kilmer thank you for filling that in so that we didn't think he was just putting trees <laughs> yep and uh she's wagered three thousand that drops her down to 2900 mihir tried what is a raisin in the sun uh ken acknowledges the connection to the clue that you know you could you could see how that could be restored to fruitfulness, uh, mm-hmm. but that's not correct either. Uh, Mihir sits pat at 6,400 uh, and will finish second. And Tim just d- didn't come up with anything, so he just has, what? Uh, <laughs> um, and his wager 2,000. <laughs> uh, dropping him down. Fair, yeah. yeah, that's a fair poem guess. Yep. <laughs> it drops him down to 16,800, um, but that's fine. He was in a lock position, so he is our champion did you have a guess on this i i did not come up with the correct response they were looking for the wasteland oh yeah by I, t.s Eliot. i 
and it's probably because I don't know too much poetry. I was like, well, a wasteland would be something that needs restoration to fruitfulness. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, that's what I would have gone with. That totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just didn't get there. On Thursday, we have the contestants Omar Khalid, a public health official from New Orleans, Louisiana. Kira Donegan, an undergraduate student from Towson, Maryland. And Tim McCaig, an app developer from San Diego, California, whose one-day cash winnings total $16,800. And we get the Jeopardy round categories. Mythological endings. Classic cars. Fast fact. If you liked it, then you should have. And put a ring on it with ring in quotation marks. Yeah. And then uh, delightfully at the at the top of if you liked it, the clue was appropriately for the for the board. This singer was the people's choice as the top animated movie star of 2019 for The Lion King. Uh, and mm-hmm. that was Beyonce. So appropriately for the board, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Referencing that she connects to this set of category titles. Yeah. That's nice. Self-referential. Yeah. yeah. I also really enjoyed the $600 level of if you liked it. Uh, in 2021, Netflix's co-CEO said this would be our biggest non-English language show. Worst case with us, you finish in the red. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Clara got that one. It's Squid Game. Although when you finish in the red, as the Simpsons told us, you owe that money to mm-hmm. Alex Trebek. Yeah. Emily. And yes. Did you get the $400 level of classic cars? The XK in the name of this British maker's famed XKE refers to its engine, the 11th in the X series. No, I did not. Oh. I did not. A couple months ago, one of my questions in a quiz was about the Jaguar. Yes. And I mentioned the X series. I had forgotten the X series. Yeah, the uh, the car models in that clue i think just just came across as like <laughs> gibberish gibberish to yeah. me <laughs> it's like yeah charlie brown's teacher <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh omar did pronounce it correctly though by clearly yes, clearly I stating the U. yes yes is, i appreciated it, his, his pronunciation that yeah. was excellent uh daily double number one is in the fast fact category at the thousand dollar level and Kira finds it as the 24th pick. She has 6,200 at this point to Tim's 3,000 and Omar's 3,400. She wagers 3,000 and gets the clue. U.S. postage stamps bearing this word began going on sale in April 2007. And she knows that is the forever stamp. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of the forever stamp. Me too, because then I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> stupid one cent stamps. Yeah. Or like replacing replacing your 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 thirty one cent with thirty two cent or what whatever it was. Like I don't remember what the what the stamp values were bef- right before the, the forever, but Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thirty twos, thirty threes, I can't remember. Just just do the forever. Just do forever. Yep. hmm So at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh Kira's in the lead with ninety two hundred, Omar has sixty two hundred, Tim has thirty six hundred. And we have the Double Jeopardy categories, Austria's Borders, 20th Century Fiction, Science and Medicine Abbreviations, or Sci and Med Abrief, as the case may be, mm-hmm. uh, Feud Origins, It's a Race, and Double Meanings. 
They did not have a good time with these feud origins. And neither did I, honestly. Hmm. I mean, at the 400, we have, like, the canonical feud, right? Right. Um, yeah, yeah, that was the only one that I was, like, that I actually really knew. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. in 1878, a member of this family accused Floyd Hatfield of pig theft and the rest is violent history. Uh, that is the McCoys. If you know one feud, I think the Hatfields and the McCoys are the one to know. Mm-hmm. Then at the $800 level, there was a feud between Ramoni Cajal and Golgi, which Kira got correct because they were looking for something about the neuron theory of this system versus the reticular one. Uh, So she got the nervous system. And then all the rest of these were triple stumpers. Yeah. Yeah. They were tough. Yeah. They, those were. I appreciated Tim's guess at the $1,600 level. Her contempt for the urologist husband of Luella Parsons was one reason for the two gossip columnists' longtime rivalry. And he tried who is Ann Landers and Dear Abby. Those are advice columnists, but, you know, like. They're two people in the same columnist realm. Right. Two, yeah. two columnists, you know, kind of in the same world. You could imagine a feud. So uh, I don't think they're was if you didn't i seem to recall that they were related they were twin sisters oh. uh yeah but like but you can see where his where his thinking was yeah um, for sure. so i appreciated the guess had a hopper was the answer who knew i did not yeah never heard of her uh, daily double number two is in the science and medical abbreviation category at the 1600 hundred dollar level so pick number three uh, Tim finds this one. He's at 4,000. Kira's at 10,400. And Omar is at 6,200. And he bets it all. Makes it a true daily double. I like it. He gets a clue. The Z in Canada's LZT telescope refers to this, so it mostly points straight up. And he gets that correct with what is the zenith? Mm-hmm. So he doubles up and gets much closer. Yes. And then he hits daily double number three as well at the 19th pick. It's in the Austria's borders category at the $1,200 level. And uh, Tim has 8,800 at this point uh, to Kira's 15,600 and Omar's 11,400. He wagers 4,000 again uh, and gets the clue. This tiny landlocked constitutional monarchy's border with Austria is a scant 21 miles. And he gets that one correct with Liechtenstein. Mm-hmm. Liechtenstein. 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 The first first vowel does the walk-in and the second does the talking. Right. That's right. Uh, so at the end of the double Jeopardy round... Another set of really good scores. Mm-hmm. Tim is in third place at 11,200. Kira's at, in the lead at 19,600, and Omar is at 13,800. We get the Final Jeopardy category Disney characters and the clue. In the source material from more than three centuries ago, her name was Badr al Budr, full moon of full moons. And they all got it correct, uh, recognizing the pretty obvious from the Arabic. Uh, mm-hmm. with who is Jasmine or Princess Jasmine. Uh, Tim bet 10,000, Omar bet 11,000, and Kira bet uh, 8,001, which was a cover bet. So she held on to her lead and is the winner. 
going into Friday. So on Friday, we have the contestants Nicole Wachelle, a teacher and writer from Los Angeles, California, Jackie Kelly, a pension calculation developer from Cary, North Carolina, and Kira Donegan, an undergraduate student from Towson, Maryland, whose one-day cash winnings total $27,601. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, pop music, Philly style, a bit of Brit lit, three-letter words, alphabet land, beer today, and lawn tomorrow. <laughs> what a pun. Uh, we didn't mention this yesterday, or for yesterday's show, but uh, Kira Donegan is the twin sister of Kristen Donegan, who competed in the uh, Jeopardy! National College Championship and uh, made it to the semifinals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talented family, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> proud parents, I'm... Mm, surely. Certain. You know... I thought I will I will tell you in advance something I'm not doing a deep dive on is uh, the $800 level of lawn tomorrow growing well in fall and spring and hardy in winter. This lawn grass is named for a state, but is actually native to Europe. Um, it was a triple stumper. Nobody tried it. It's Kentucky bluegrass. And I was like, oh, I know there's a bunch of interesting stuff about Kentucky bluegrass. Um, and then I realized that everything interesting I know about Kentucky bluegrass, I learned on the Anthropocene Reviewed podcast, the John Green podcast, and that I don't think I, I think I would just basically be plagiarizing John Green if I were to start trying to tell you fun stuff about Kentucky bluegrass as a deep dive. Um, so instead, I will just refer everyone to that podcast. Sure, I guess, but I mean, isn't all knowledge? Yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, yes. I feel like it was it was John Green's like kind of framing that you know made it made it interesting to me. Um, That's fair. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed the beer category. Mm. <laughs> it, was, it was nice, although there was a triple stumper at the the two hundred dollar level. Um, I feel like I have. I have heard this fact on every brewery tour I've ever taken. Mm -hmm. uh, the clue is lager is beer made from bottom fermenting strains of this. Top fermented types from Britain are ales. And that's the yeast. Uh, Nicole guessed what are hops. Right. Not a bad guess mm -hmm. for like beer ingredient. But yeah, the yeast is what makes it a lager or an ale. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I appreciated Kira's pronunciation of valet uh, <laughs> in a bit of Britlet. At the $800 level, um, apparently Jeeves is actually not a butler. He's he's mm -hmm. a valet. And uh, the Brits, they will never do those French silent T's. Well, maybe mm -hmm. there are cases where they do. But when you're referring to a person with that job in, uh, in England, you pronounce the T. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Daily Double number one is in that beer today category. It's at the $600 level. Nicole finds it at pick number 24. She is at 5,600. Kira is at 3,400. Jackie's at 4,600. She wagers 3,000. I like it. Mm -hmm. uh, Ken actually asked, uh, how confident are you about beer? And she said something like, oh, pretty confident. <laughs> nice. that, that I thought was really yeah. Uh, amusing. Yeah. She gets the clue, planning ahead a bit. He signed a 9,000-year lease in 1759 on the St. James Gate Brewery in Dublin for 45 pounds a year. And uh, I have a, 
have a special place in my heart for this particular uh, response. She got it correct with who is Guinness. Um, if I recall, I think that was my first correct response on Jeopardy. Oh, nice. Uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Kira is still at 3,400, Jackie's at 4,600, and Nicole is at 8,400. And we get the double Jeopardy categories, What the Hill, American Law, Scientists, Time to Call it a Day, uh, History's Mr. Ease, with E in quotation marks, and the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures. Uh, and those are all video clues. Mm-hmm. Rather long video clues, and we ended up with three clues left on the board. Yep. I liked learning that they needed two slightly different versions of Dorothy's dress to make the sepia to technicolor transition work oh, yes. costume-wise. That was a that was a, a, a new piece of information for me about a, a film I know well. Yeah, that was that was really cool. Uh, in time to call it a day. At the $1,600 level, the clue was, even if your head hurts, it's the day after Mardi Gras. And Kira rang in and said, what is Wednesday? And <laughs> Ken, at, which is true. It is. That, that, is, that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> and Ken said more specifically. And Kira didn't quite come up with it in time. So Jackie got the rebound. Ash Wednesday. Yeah. Ash Wednesday is the day after Mardi Gras. Right. Mardi Gras, also known as Fat Tuesday or Shrove Tuesday. Those are all the same thing. It is Wednesday, my dudes. Mm-hmm. All right. Daily Double number two is in that same time to call it a day category at the 18th pick. And at this at this point, you know, I think the contestants have all sort of uh, clarified for themselves that, that, this, that you need a phrase that includes a day of the week. Kira finds it at the $2,000 level. She has 9,400 uh, to Jackie's 10,600 and Nicole's 10,800. Really close game. She wagers 3,000, which uh, if she gets it correct, will put her in a smallish lead. And if she misses, uh, doesn't really take her out of contention with 12 clues left on the board. And she gets the clue. Richard Nixon was this type of teacher, but Jimmy Carter is more famous for being one. And she knows that is a Sunday school teacher. You don't really think of Richard Nixon as a Sunday school teacher. Nope. <laughs> I cannot picture that. It's hard it's hard to picture. I mean, yeah. He he is of course colored by the scandal and, and, and all of that. Mm -hmm. But I mean he was a a real person before that. Yep. Uh, and Daily Double number three is in the American law category at the eight hundred dollar level. Jackie finds it at pick number 24. Uh, she is at 14,600. Kira is at 13,600. And Nicole is at 9,600. And she wagers 4,000. And the clue is Lady Liberty is on the logo of the American Association of Lawyers in this field, founded in 1946. And she does not offer a guess, but that is immigration. Mm -hmm. Which makes sense. Mm -hmm. Once I, I didn't put it together in time, no, you know, I was like, oh, like Lady Liberty, like symbol of America. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, the symbol of a, a whole bunch of things. Right. Um, so at the end of the double Jeopardy round, uh, Kira's in the lead with 15,200. 
Jackie's at 10,600, Nicole's at 12,000. And we have the final Jeopardy category, U.S. City Names. And the clue, adopted in 1845, the name of this state capital is a feminized form of a big body of water. This was a triple stumper. For whatever reason, I went in entirely the wrong direction and thought I was supposed to be thinking of like a term for a big body of water, like sea or ocean, Mm. instead of the name of a specific sea or ocean. So I don't know if if the same thought process might have uh, slowed the contestants down, but I'll, I'll offer that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Jackie did not come up with anything. She just has what is. Uh, she's wagered 3,100, uh, leaving her with 7,500. Uh, Nicole has what is is and then an a but the a is crossed out and she didn't get anything else written down uh she wagered eleven thousand two hundred and one leaving her with just 799 yeah she was in stratton's dilemma here mm-hmm. i think we that came up earlier this week also it did, yeah. uh, that you have the choice if you're in that position between covering a double up from third place or staying above first place in a triple stumper and she as it turns out went the wrong way on this one Mm -hmm. uh yeah so no way to know in advance which of those scenarios is more likely i think if there's some way to know somebody tell me um (laughs) uh and kira had what is Annapolis and then a little frowny face. Oh, yeah. That's uh, sad. Yeah. And a $10,000 wager. At least she got a city written down, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Good job and it's writing named down after a city. Anne. Yeah. Queen Anne. So. Yep. Uh, so with a 10000 wager, she drops down to 5200 putting her in second place. That makes Jackie the winner of this game. And we'll see her again on Monday. Oh, and they were looking for. Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, like the Atlantic Ocean. I always thought it was named after Atalanta, a a heroine in Greek mythology. Um, She was a huntress. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I just, I just always assumed it was like an anglicized version of Atalanta. Yeah. But apparently not. Yep. So... Now we know. Indeed, we do. So that brings us to the end of the week. Uh, And this is the moment when we take a break in the middle of the episode and remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potentpotables. If you want to get a little bit of exclusive content uh, as we're able to make that available and help us defray the costs of this podcast, maybe help us get to the point at some point where we can have a sound editor person on a regular basis um you can find that at patreon.com slash potent potables um and you can throw us a few bucks a month if that is of interest to you and um we also don't like to ask for money without acknowledging that there are more important places in the world that you can uh send your hard-earned dollars um a few that are important to us are blacklivesmatter.com, communityjusticeexchange.org, 
the Stop AAPI Hate GoFundMe and Rescue.org. So those are some that we care about. Uh, and you can find links to those in the show notes. So do you have deep dive guesses, Kyle? I do. Okay. I do. There were a number of good options, I thought. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start with the uh, triple stumper uh, final Jeopardy. Are we talking about the Wasteland or TSL? We're not, although I did consider it. Okay. Are we talking about Luther Burbank? No. Uh, are we talking about Ptolemy? We're not. Okay. What are we talking about? Um, I I thought I thought that this was like kind of maybe almost too on the nose for for me in the silent letter starters uh, on Tuesdays in Tuesday's game at the $800 level, the gospel of Mary Magdalene is considered this kind of gospel from the Greek for knowledge. Uh, That's a Gnostic gospel with a silent G. Um, It's been a while since I took a history of early Christianity course, but I have taken more than one. Um, I know probably I have known probably too much about this topic, um, but I tried to kind of distill some of it down to do a little crash course on uh, Gnosticism and Gnostic texts. I'm not going to get too into the weed weeds with like the various Gnostic gospels, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, Gnostic Gnosticism. That's kind of where we're heading today. Okay. Uh, yeah. So um, Gnosticism is a collection of religious ideas and systems which coalesced in the late 1st century uh, CE or AD, as you prefer, among Jewish and early Christian sects. Uh, These various groups emphasized personal spiritual knowledge, aka gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, from the Greek, um, above the orthodox teachings, traditions, and authority of religious institutions. Uh, Gnosticism is not and was not a single standardized system. Um, And there's an emphasis on kind of direct experience and revelation that allows for a wide variety of teachings. But some common elements and beliefs in Gnostic movements, Gnostic thinkers, Gnostic texts, the Gnostic cosmogony. um, So like the sort of, you know, origin of everything, you know, the cosmos, um, generally presents a distinction between a supreme hidden god and a malevolent lesser deity uh, who is responsible for creating the material universe. In some Gnostic movements and texts, that malevolent lesser deity was identified with, like, the god of the Old Testament, which is among the problematic things um, in Gnosticism. Um, yeah. Yeah. In many Gnostic systems, God is known as the monad, the one, uh, the high source of the pleroma, the uh, fullness, like the region of light. And then there are emanations of God called eons. Gnostics consider the principal element of salvation to be direct knowledge of the supreme divinity in the form of mystical or esoteric insight. Gnostic texts tend to deal not in concepts of sin and repentance and righteousness, kind of, you know, terms that you would associate with biblical and Christian texts, um, but rather with like illusion and 
enlightenment or knowledge. Gnostic systems postulate a dualism between God and the world. Um, how this plays out exactly varies uh, from the radical dualist systems of Manichaeism to mitigated dualism of uh, other Gnostic movements. Radical dualism is like there are two like co-equal divine forces in tension with each other um, in mitigated dualism. Uh, one is kind of superior and the other's inferior. Uh, the pleroma is a term you might encounter. Uh, the totality of God's powers. The heavenly pleroma is the center of divine life, a region of light above, not spatially above, but, you know, sort of like metaphysically above mm-hmm. our world, um, occupied by spiritual beings such as eons, like eternal beings, emanations of the divine, um, and sometimes archons. I don't really remember what archons are. Mm. Uh, and Jesus is interpreted as an eon who was sent from the pleroma with whose aid humanity can recover the lost knowledge of the divine origins of humanity. In some Gnostic texts, uh, you'll find references to the Barbello. is a hermaphroditic eon, the first emanated being. Various interactions with the monad occur, which result in the emanation of successive pairs of eons, often in male-female prayerings called syzygies. The eons as a totality constitute the, the pleroma. Uh, the lowest regions of the pleroma are closest to the darkness, that specifically the physical world. And then uh, Christ and Sophia are seen often as one of those paired male and female eons. And then there's some like Gnostic texts where we see um, Sophia as like the sort of the final and lowest emanation of the divine um, identified with the the world soul um, who births the demiurge who in turn brings about the creation of like the material world which I think is like because she like emanates without like a partner eon so then the demiurge um, is outside the pleroma in isolation uh, thinking itself alone it creates material materiality it's responsible for the creation of humankind, trapping elements of the pleroma stolen from Sophia inside human bodies. And so in response to this, the Godhead, the monad, like whatever, emanates two savior eons, Christ and the Holy Spirit. Um, and Christ is embodied in the form of Jesus in order to be able to teach humans how to achieve gnosis, um, by which they may return to the divinity whence they, whence they came. It all sounds really weird, although honestly, any religious system that you haven't been exposed to generally will sound weird. Um, yeah, that is. Yeah, there, there, there's a certain like when you approach any like religious, you know, stories or or you know, mythology, if you want to call it that. Like, there's a certain level of you just have to accept some things in order for it to make sense. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The interesting thing about this is that like this is a this is a movement within. Christianity, uh, or, you know, Judaism and Christianity. Um, it originates in the late first century AD or CE. And that's, a, that's a time where nobody was really sure at this point, like, is Chris, it, like, are Christians a kind of Jews? Can you be a Christian if you weren't first a Jew? Like, these were, these were like very active 
questions within both communities, really, right? Like this is a, like Christianity is kind of uh, branching away from the Jewish community that, you know, that it started within, right? Like Jesus and all the disciples are Jewish, right? So we've got, we've got that split happening. And then these ideas are taking shape in certain communities within this like Jewish Christian milieu. There are probably neoplatonic philosophical influences. Um, There's some speculation about whether there might have been any exposure to Buddhist influences, um, Mm. because there are some kind of resonances, um, and it's not impossible, right? Those were not (laughs) like two parts of the world that had no, you know, uh, no connection with each other. You know, so it's conceivable. Uh, The teachings of uh, the Apostle Paul in his letters um, and and John um, may also have given inspiration to certain Gnostic ideas. Um, and it seems like Alexandria was kind of a like a of central importance, maybe a maybe a uh, a cradle place of, uh, of of Gnosticism in the late first and early second century. These ideas are developing contemporaneous with the writing of the New Testament. So there's also like. There's not like a an agreed upon canon of texts to refer to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's the the Hebrew text, but there's not an agreed on sort of canon of Christian texts at this point. Mm-hmm. In the mid second century to early third century, we're at like the high point of the classical Gnostic teachers and their systems, um, claiming that their systems represent the inner truth revealed by Jesus, and then in the late second century into the fourth century, the kind of uh, nascent like orthodox church right the 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 church that is starting to have kind of some degree of institutional structure and like agreed on authority moves toward rejecting and condemning and you know sort of moving away from these schools of thought uh and gnosticism subsequently declines gnosticism wasn't organized either uh so you know there there are these various kind of gnostic movements popping up uh, some, many of which are condemned as heresy by early church fathers. Um, so Irenaeus's treatise Against Heresies, Adversus Hieresis, or something like that, I can't remember, is, uh, is one text that in particular sort of sets out to name incorrect teachings and theologies and sort of take a stand against them. And it, it mentions and details many uh, Gnostic ideas and uh, objections to them. But early Christianity was, it was diverse, it was cacophonous, like, there weren't the kind of institutionalized standards and structure and oversight that we associate with kind of the later church. You know, so it was, it was complicated. There wasn't a church, per se, to, you know, sort of say, crack down and say what the correct theology is. Mm -hmm. Um, And Gnostic movements were diverse as well. We can kind of look back and group them together, but you know, they would not necessarily have seen each other as part of the same thing, you know? Mm-hmm. But by the time of the major early Christian councils, Gnosticism has pretty conclusively parted ways with orthodoxy. There are still religious communities that trace their origins to early Gnostic Christian movements, though. The the Mandeans, uh, also known as Sabians, are an ethno-religious group uh, found today in Iran, Iraq, and in uh, in diaspora in uh, in other places that trace their origin back to 
these, some of these early Gnostic teachings. Up until recently, uh, not many Gnostic texts uh, were known to have survived recently, like last hundred years. Uh, so some of what we did have was in the form of extended excerpts that were being quoted in anti-Gnostic tre- treatises so that the author could like provide some of the text against which they were arguing, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is not uncommon in antiquity, right? Like, right. you know, if, if every text exists only in handwritten copies, you can't just assume that everybody's read the things you've read. Um, you know, so if you right. want to argue against a text, you need to, you need to like transcribe some of it into your work so that people can like encounter that alongside yeah. your objections to it. So the, the Nag Hammadi discovery um, gave us a lot more uh, Gnostic texts. Um, but before that, we had um, a few that had been preserved by the church, uh, the Acts of Thomas and the Acts of John. We had the Bruce Codex, uh, which was discovered in the 18th century with uh, the Books of Ju, also known as the Gnosis of the Invisible God, and another text called the Gnosis of the Light. Uh, we had the Askew Codex, uh, which uh, also was identified in the 18th century uh, with Pistis Sophia, the Books of the Savior, and the Berlin Codex, uh, which includes uh, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene mentioned in the Jeopardy Clue, along with the Apocryphon of John, the Wisdom of Jesus Christ, and um, something about the Acts of Peter. This one was uh, found in Egypt and bought in in the late 19th century by Karl Reinhardt. And then there's uh, another text that we knew of before... Uh, the Nag Hammadi library um, was the secret gospel of Mark, but there's like controversy around that one because we had some excerpts of it, like from an like anti-Gnostic polemic. And then somebody found a manuscript, but in sort of suspicious circumstances. And there was question about its authenticity. But in 1945, uh, the Nag Hammadi library uh, is discovered. It is also known as the Gnostic Gospels, although not everything in the Nag Hammadi is a gospel. And there are Gnostic Gospels, I think, outside of the Nag Hammadi library. Anyway, it's a collection of early Christian and Gnostic texts. It was discovered in the town of Nag Hammadi. That's, you know, that's where it gets its name in, uh, in, uh, in Egypt. Um, so 13 leather-bound papyrus codices buried in a sealed jar were found by a local farmer named Muhammad al-Saman. The writings comprise 52 mostly Gnostic treatises, um, as well as three works belonging to the Corpus Hermeticum and a partial translation, but also alteration of Plato's Republic. Uh, And these were written in the Coptic language. Um, The Gospel of Thomas is the best known of these. I think it was it was known of before, but the Nag Hammadi codices provided the only complete text of that gospel. And since the since the Jeopardy clue mentioned the Gospel of Mary, I thought I'd talk about that one for for a quick minute also. So the Gospel of Mary is uh it's a text discovered in 1896 uh in the Berlin Codex written in Sahidic Coptic. Uh, two other fragments of the Gospel of Mary have been discovered since. Uh, both of those are written in Greek. Uh there are sort of complicated systems for like titling like discovered 
uh, biblical and other, you know, ancient manuscripts. Uh, so Papyrus Oxyrhynchus L3525 and Papyrus Rylands 463 are the, are the two other fragments that have been found. Dating the gospel is problematic. Dating any ancient literary text is problematic because, you know, you hand copy it. To, like that's you know hand copying was the way that uh, texts were you know perpetuated. Um, the earliest extant fragment of the gospel dates to the early third century, but you know it has to it has to be older than that. Karen King of Harvard Divinity School has suggested that the Gospel of Mary was composed early in the second century, um, noting that it evidences familiarity with the gospel of john and possibly the letters of paul so you would have to date it after those were composed and the most complete copy is missing several pages so we don't have the complete text um but the gospel of mary has scenes of jesus teaching the disciples but then also scenes of mary probably mary magdalene but it's not entirely clear relaying to the disciples the teachings and visions that she has personally received from Jesus. And that's kind of what makes the Gospel of Mary distinctive. I thought maybe what I should do to kind of wrap us up um, is read some excerpts of some uh, some Gnostic texts. Gnostic texts are, you know, they're different from each other. It's hard to find to say like, oh, like, here's a, a representative one. Um, but I've got I've got an excerpt of one thing that's more poetic. And then I've got an excerpt of uh, the Gospel of Thomas, which is like a, a sayings gospel. So they're different from each other, at least give you a little bit of a flavor of like, kind of how some of this sounds. Um, I tried to find a, a good excerpt of something that was getting into some of the like, emanations and divine beings stuff and had a hard time finding a, a good excerpt uh, that made sense and didn't just sound like the kind of summary that, that I that I read. Anyway, um, so this is from uh, Thunder Perfect Mind. And uh, the translator of this one is George McRae. I was sent forth from the power and I have come to those who reflect on me and I have been found among those who seek after me. Look upon me, you who reflect upon me, and you hearers, hear me. You who are waiting for me, take me to yourselves, and do not banish me from your sight, and do not make me, your voice hate me, nor your hearing. Do not be ignorant of me anywhere or any time. Be on your guard. Do not be ignorant of me. I am the first and the last. I am the honored one and the scorned one. I am the whore and the holy one. I am the wife and the virgin. I am the mother and the daughter. I am the members of my mother, I am the barren one, and many are her sons. I am she whose wedding is great, and I have not taken a husband. I am the midwife, and she who does not bear. I am the solace of my labor pains. I am the bride and the bridegroom, and it is my husband who begot me. I am the mother of my father and the sister of my husband, and he is my offspring. I am the slave of him who prepared me. I am the ruler of my offspring, but he is the one who begot me before the time on a birthday, and he is my offspring in due time, and my power is from him. I am the staff of his power in his youth, and he is the rod of my old age, and whatever he wills happens to me. I am the silence that is incomprehensible, and the idea whose remembrance is frequent. I am the voice whose sound is manifold, and the word whose appearance is multiple. I am the utterance of my name." Uh, that's the beginning of Thunder Perfect Mind. It just it just gets real weird in those Gnostic texts. Yeah, it does. Uh, yeah, um, a little more 
down to earth, um, but still, still, still feeling pretty Gnostic. Uh, we've got some stuff from the Gospel of Thomas here. Jesus said, those who seek should not stop seeking until they find. When they find, they will be disturbed. When they are disturbed, they will marvel and will reign over all. And after they have reigned, they will rest. Jesus said, if your leaders say to you, look, the father's kingdom is in the sky, then the birds of the sky will precede you. If they say to you, it is in the sea, then the fish will precede you. Rather, the father's kingdom is within you and it is outside you. When you know yourselves, then you will be known and you will understand that you are children of the living father. But if you do not know yourselves, then you live in poverty and you are the poverty. Jesus said the person in the person old in days won't hesitate to ask a little child seven days old about the place of life and that person will live. For many of the first will be last and will become a single one. Jesus said, know what is in front of your face and what is hidden from you will be disclosed to you. For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed and there is nothing buried that will not be raised. His disciples asked him and said to him, do you want us to fast? How should we pray? Should we give to charity? What diet should we observe? Jesus said, don't lie and don't do what you hate because all things are disclosed before heaven. After all, there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed and there is nothing covered up that will remain undisclosed. Um, so that's that's an excerpt from the Gospel of Thomas. And um, anyone who's like very familiar with like New Testament Gospels will have heard some things that sound almost exactly the same as you're used to hearing them. And then some things where you, like it started the same and then like just took a left so turn. We, yeah. That's yeah. exactly what I was thinking. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, it's uh, the gospel of Thomas. I mean, it has certainly some common source material with, mm. you know, with the, with the canonical new Testament gospels, which makes it kind of an interesting read. Yeah. So um, there was sort of a surge of interest among non-academics in the Gnostic Gospels or like, you know, it, it, was, a, it was a very niche academic field. And then uh, in 1945, the Nag Hammadi Library was found. In 1977, a translation was released that spurred some new interest in Gnosticism. Um, but then uh, the work of Elaine Pagel sort of brought Gnostic scholarship to a wider audience. And I think that's probably, um, if you've encountered that term before, um, it's likely because of kind of her work making, you know, making that accessible to a, more of a lay audience. But yeah, so that's a little bit about Gnosticism and the Gnostic Gospels. There's a lot more that we could talk about, but I figured that was good for today. Yeah, no, that's a uh whole bunch of stuff i haven't heard about yeah um very interesting it, it's interesting stuff um so are you ready for a quiz oh yeah um i did not want to quiz you about gnosticism and gnostic gospel so this is a quiz themed on silent g ah <laughs> nice yeah with a g yes um <laughs> great all right so question one I believe that I've asked at least once before about Milo Ventimiglia, who has a silent G. Um, so I'm not going to ask about him today. I need to switch to a different celebrity with a silent G in their name. Okay. Uh, what actress, known for her work in independent and experimental film, had her breakthrough role in Boys Don't Cry 
Um, and she later won a Golden Globe for her role in the HBO series Big Love. Uh, she also appeared in two seasons of American Horror Story, and she recently starred as Lizzie Borden in Lizzie. I don't know this from any of the roles that you listed. So I'm trying to think of actresses with a silent G. I really have nothing. I, I'm drawn complete blanks. I sadly don't think I've ever watched any of those things that you named. <laughs> so I am going to go with... I don't know. Catherine O'Hara with a G. There we go. All right. Uh, it is. I assumed that her name was pronounced Chloe Sevigny, um, but it oh. is, it's actually Chloe Sevigny. Like, the, like from what I found, like, they don't do a, like, a nya. Um, like, so it's, it's a really, it's like, just, totally silent G in this case. Yeah, interesting. I've been, like, I was, get, I've been giving myself a little flexibility in the silent G quiz about, like, you know, Gs that make a little, like, a, they just don't make a guh or ja sound, but they, you know turn something else into a nya but in this case it, it, the g like basically disappears in how her family pronounces their name uh so yeah chloe seveny is the answer uh she also does fashion design apparently nice yeah all right question two oh we're heading into another like deep cut question That's so okay. sorry That's okay. <laughs> what spanish language television series uh, based on a Dutch children's book, was dubbed into English. Uh, so I'm not asking for a Spanish title. I'm asking for an English title. Uh, with voice acting from Christopher Plummer and Tom Bosley and aired on Nick Jr. from 1988 to 1995. In addition to the bearded and pointy-hatted title character, the series features his wife Lisa, his best friend Swift the Fox, and evil trolls who turn into stone if they are exposed to sunlight. I, oh my, uh, I mean, <laughs> you would sort of okay, just have I'm, to know that the, you would have to know, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing, I'm guessing the silent G is in gnome mm -hmm. or, and if it's either, it's either a, like a variation on the word gnome or something, the gnome. It, yeah. So I'm going to say it's Billy the Gnome. <laughs> it's David the Gnome. It's David. It's, it's just David. It's David the Gnome. <laughs> uh, also known as the world of David the Gnome. Um, but okay. I would have I accepted David the Gnome. Yeah, you would you would have just had to know that the title of this random uh, children's television show. I figured we were not totally necessarily outside of your, you know, kind of your. Uh, yeah, your, I don't your, think. Your Nickelodeon years. Maybe like kind of rings a bell vaguely with the description, but not. Yeah, I, yeah, I was never gonna get there. I was obsessed. Today I learned there are only twenty six episodes of David the Gnome. Is this <laughs> so, so weird? Oh, I mean, with the amount that my kids watch and rewatch one season of some kids show, it will hold a place in their memory that is far larger than the actual creation yeah nickelodeon must have ran must have run a lot of reruns because there were 26 episodes and they aired that for seven years for seven years mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. i just found a full episode on youtube earlier today so i'll put a link to that in the patreon nice <laughs> all right 
I think we're heading into easier territory now. Um, okay. All right. So perhaps gnocchi is the first silent G food that comes to mind, but many Italian dishes have silent or silent-ish Gs. What sauce, traditionally served with tagliatelle, uh, has a silent G of its own, um, is prepared with onion, celery, carrot, minced beef, uh, minced uh, fatty pork, white wine, milk, and tomato? Outside of Italy, we use the name for it for basically any tomato and ground beef pasta sauce. Okay, so a word has come to mind, which I believe has a silent G in it. And I'm trying to remember if that actually, like, if that fits, if it applies, if it works. And I'm not coming up with any alternatives, so I think I'm just going to go with bolognese. Bolognese is correct. Yay. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, if you're in Bologna, you don't call it bolognese. Cause, you just call it sauce. Yeah, you call it ragu. <laughs> it's ragu. Um, and if you're inside Italy, it's 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 ragu bolognese bolognese. Uh, but uh, with the with the preparation I mentioned, and then outside of Italy, just really anything with tomato and ground beef, you got yourself a got yourself a bolognese sauce. Yeah, uh, I feel like we've really kind of really sort of done Bologna dirty um, between <laughs> between the pasta sauce and the sandwich meat. <laughs> Like, there's a lot of yeah. food out here that I don't think that they would really claim as their own that has their name right. on it. Right. Yeah. All right. You've got 10 points. Uh, and question four. Uh, surfer subculture adopted as slang this word that means twisted, lumpy, or knobby. In surfing, it refers to conditions where the waves are large, difficult, and dangerous. And then in modern slang usage, it can have contradictory meanings. You can find it meaning excellent. You can also find it meaning nasty. What word is this? I think that would be gnarly. It is gnarly. Um, It's usage in, like, it's common usage in English possibly traces, like, almost entirely to Shakespeare, um, who used it in Measure for Measure. Nice. Yeah, and uh, it's silent G probably used to be a K. Um, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, hmm. We think I, I believe that it shares like it, it like it's at a, it traces back to the same common root word word that uh, that knob traces back to. Okay. Yeah. All right, you're at twenty points. Uh, question five: The word diaphragm has a silent G. When someone suffers from involuntary contractions of the diaphragm, what do we call that? The longest known case of this affliction was uh, a man named Charles Osborne, who suffered from it continuously from 1922 to 1990. I mean, involuntary contractions of the diaphragm are hiccups. Yeah. Yes, they are. That's their answer. And I guess because we spell it like Hickhoff. Oh no, the silent G was in diaphragm in this case. Oh, yeah. oh, oh! I was like, I was like, oh, that's, that's an odd. Okay, I did, I did consider whether like the yeah, I thought about the the alternate spelling of hiccup with like a cough. Yeah, uh, sorry, that wasn't clear. Um, but yeah, in this case, this was a question about something with a silent G, which is also how I'm doing the next question, by the way. And Charles Osborne got hiccups in 1922, had them until 1990, and then woke up and was fine one day. And then it's he died insane. the next year. So, That's so weird. Yeah. That's wild. <laughs> yes. Uh, he had hiccups for 68 years. Um, Man. 
Can you imagine? Anyway, you're at 30 points, and we're going to call our final category measurement. With a silent G. You do oh, not need to come goodness. up with a silent G answer. I'm going to provide the silent G word. Okay, well, let's, yeah, uh, let's, let's go, eh, let's go all 30. All I'm, right. I like measurements. For 60 points, on what orological device would you find a gnomon? G-N-O-M-O-N. A meme I saw a couple weeks ago uh, when Daylight Saving Time began suggested that you adjust this device by moving it one house to the left. On what orological device? Yeah, orological with a silent H. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would you find a gnomon? Can you just move it one house to the left? Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't really. It was, it, 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 it was a joke, but I thought it might help you narrow it down. <laughs> I mean, um, how many orological devices are there? I don't know. I'm so... And what would it do with a house? <laughs> Why would you move it from a house? <laughs> That's what's throwing me off. It's like, I I have no idea what that's talking about. Um, a gnomon on an orological device. I'm going to say a sundial. That's correct. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. You adjust your sundial for daylight savings time by moving it one house moving to it. the left. <laughs> okay. I guess so. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. That's, that's, that's that. a good joke. Um, yeah. That's a good joke. All right. Well. Despite my despite my awkward quiz writing, you have sixty points. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That was that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I I had a lot of fun as well, and I hope our listeners did too. Um, so thanks, listeners, for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you'd be so kind. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's Patreon.com/slash/PotentPotables. And if you have friends who watch Jeopardy, let them know about our podcast. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. We'll be back next week with another week of Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. 